Hey everybody, welcome to the latest episode of the Fortress of Rock. I am the maestro Kevin Crane. Glad to have you aboard as always. Episode 32, taping today, March the 25th, 2022. Lots and lots of fantastic stuff for you. Starting off, we've talked about Dream Widow. The band that causes all the bloody problems for the Foo Fighters in their recently released movie, Studio 666. They have grown never one lacking in creativity or ambition, of course, had to put out an entire, I think it's long enough where it should be an album, but he's calling it an EP. Digital Only came out today, again, the 25th of March. Check it out on iTunes if you want to buy it. Amazon if you want to buy it. You just want to listen to it. Of course, go to the great and glorious Spotify, which is what I did. I've listened to it already. I'm going to save my review of the the entire EP slash LP till next week. Episode 33, you will get my review of Dream Widow. And if you're a Foo Fighters fan, this is not Foo Fighters music for the most part. If you remember White Limo from a few albums ago, that's about the closest that I can think of off the top of my head in terms of musical stylings that I can compare from the Foo Fighters to Dream Widow. But again, I will never fault Dave Grohl for his creativity and his endless, boundless energy in creating music for the Foo Fighters, helping out other artists, or pulling off a side project like this. So once again, check out Dream Widow. Skid Row has debuted their new frontman, their new lead singer, Eric Gronwall. Now, I I know I've talked about this in the past, especially after seeing Sebastian Bach late last year. Skid Row will not be the same to me without Sebastian Bach. And unfortunately, I, I can't even keep track anymore. I kind of lost touch with Skid Row once they broke up with Sebastian. But I almost want to say this is at least their third, if not their fourth lead singer now. (sighs) Not a great way to keep your fan base engaged. Unfortunately, it's a commentary on the disposable nature of legacy bands. Again, something we mentioned last year, I saw Warrant for the first time ever, but of course to me it wasn't really Warrant because Janie Lane, obviously no longer able to front Warrant. He passed away a long, long time ago thanks to his own personal demons. 
But War It was still fun, still engaging, still entertaining. But it just wasn't Warrant to me because it wasn't the original lineup or at least the lead singer, who we have to admit is an integral part of the whole deal, wasn't there. But now Skid Row just churning through all these different singers, it seems like every five or six years. I don't know how they think they're ever going to maintain a fan base. Man, they must really, really hate Sebastian Bach. Now, that being said, new album, new song just came out. Title track, The Gang's All Here. Just like Dream Widow, I will have a review for you of the new Skid Row song next week. Again, something I listened to real quick, just like Dream Widow today before I got in front of the mic here. And it doesn't sound bad. It sounds fine. The guy vaguely sounds like Sebastian Bach, so there's a little bit of a nostalgia feel to it. It's hard. It rocks. Give me a few more listens here to figure out if it's going to grow on me or not. Aerosmith, we've talked about Aerosmith, and, and are they coming back? Are they done? A lot of negativity coming from the individual members of the band, talking about we could be over and done, no more shows, we just can't make it work. Well, looks like the MGM in Vegas cut them a big check to make it work because uh, they are starting a Vegas residency at MGM's arena. Pretty extensive, too. June, July, and then a break. September, October, another break, and then November, December. A lot of dates in there. A lot of dates. Will we see Aerosmith on a farewell tour across the world, across the U.S.? That remains to be seen. I've got to believe the money involved in an Aerosmith farewell tour would be astronomical. But who knows? Who knows? Can you trust Steven Tyler? Good question. couple of new album releases to mention. I, I know I talked last week that The Fix had a new song out called Closer. The third out of what we now know is their upcoming album, Every Five Seconds. This is the part I cannot remember if I mentioned last week. If I'm repeating myself, I apologize, but I am looking forward to the new Fix album. Once again, Every Five Seconds is out June the 3rd. And I will have my review of that third single, that third release, Closer, again next week. I know, I'm, I'm pushing everything back a week because I've got a ton 
coming up in breakdown that I've promised you that I've got to get to first. The other new release I want to talk about, this one, I'm going to get personal here, not only with this, but then I've got a little aside, a little one of my famous tangents I'm going to go off on once we're done here with the news of the world. Mark Tremonti, I I love Mark Tremonti. Mark Tremonti, of course, started as the, at least in terms of notoriety, he was the lead guitarist for Creed. And now he is the lead guitarist for one of my favorite bands, Alter Bridge. But he also has his own side project band who are are fantastic in their own right, Tremonti. Now, I saw this little news item pop up over the last week, and it, it kind of tugs at the heartstrings because, and I'm paraphrasing here, so I hope I don't get the details wrong, but in 2021, Mark had a child with Down syndrome. And so what he's decided to do, if you've ever listened to him sing, he does a little bit of the vocal work, an altar bridge, but of course, most of that goes to the outstanding Miles Kennedy. But then, of course, with Tremonti, his his side band, he does do all the singing. And you can listen to his voice, and maybe this will make sense to you. And I think he can pull it off. But what's behind this this album idea is what really matters. So, what's coming out May the twenty seventh here? About two months from now, we are going to get Tremonti Sings Sinatra, where Mark Tremonti will do a lot of old Blue Eyes classics. And again now, if you've listened to Tremonti, see if you can picture that voice doing Frank Sinatra classics. I think he can pull it off. I do think he can. He's got a deep voice with just enough inflection where I think he can make it work and yet make it his own. But the great part about this is this is not necessarily just him doing a lark, making a silly covers album. All the proceeds, my understanding is, will go to a foundation for Down Syndrome. So he's not doing this for the money. He's doing this for his his child and all the other children out there with Down syndrome. All the other people out there with Down syndrome. So great for Mark Tremonti. I know a lot of people out there don't buy physical albums anymore, CDs. Pick up the digital copy. Throw some money towards this fantastic effort in this great charity. All right, I mentioned I was going to continue being personal here. I have had an obsession this week, and I don't know why. So you're going to learn a little bit about me. 30, 32 episodes in, now we're going to get down and dirty and personal. 
not really, but bear with me. I have seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of concerts and bands over the last 40 years of my life. I'm in my mid-50s. Started to go see concerts, obviously, about 17 years old. And have seen at least, tried to see at least on average, 10 concerts a year. So do the math. I don't think I won't be arrogant and say I've seen 400. I'd put it probably closer to three. to be safe, but this week my obsession has been trying to verify as I get older, kids, it's going to happen to all of you. I hate to say it. Your memory starts to slip. It starts to fail. So I pulled out a piece of paper off the bulletin board in my kitchen I just happened to be going through it, cleaning things up, throwing things away, notes that I didn't need anymore, passwords that I didn't need anymore. And I found a piece of paper from a few years back where I started to research all the concerts that I saw back, way back in the beginning, back when I was in high school and in college and right after that. So basically in the 80s. I wanted to find out, I I knew where I'd seen the bands and I knew the headliners, but I wanted to find out the specific dates. I wanted to find out if I could dig up the opening acts because in some cases I forgot about those. And the one thing I've got to tell you, we were just talking about Mark Tremonti. That's why this is a great segue. Technically, the first concert that I ever saw was on May the 3rd, 1976. I was 10 and a half years old. My parents wanted to see, yes, Old Blue Eyes, Frank Sinatra. And I remember this. When I went with my friends to see Greta Van Fleet a couple weeks ago, we did that review for you. It was at the same stadium where I saw Frank Sinatra when I was 10 years old. Now it's the Wings Event Center in Kalamazoo, Michigan. It used to be Wings Stadium. And the thing is, I don't know if it's been reconfigured. I cannot find anything on that. But this is a really relatively small hockey arena. maybe 6,500 for a concert. So when we went to see Greta Van Fleet, I think this is what kickstarted my brain and my obsession that I've had over the last week is I'm thinking, how the hell in 1976 is Frank Sinatra playing a small venue like this? And again, I don't know if it's been reconfigured or what. But I finally this week 
and again, this is what started the ball rolling, verified that I wasn't going crazy, verified that my memories were correct and intact, got the date, got the venue, even even got, again, a set list. I don't know if it really is that accurate. I do love the website setlist.fm, that wiki. Get a lot of great old concert info from that. Then that jumps us forward. I had to find out, of course, verify my very first rock concert ever, which was November the 13th, 1982, when I saw Billy Squire and Nazareth at the Notre Dame ACC in South Bend, Indiana. That's when everything really started. So again, this year, 2022, to me personally, and I'm not disparaging Frank Sinatra, I think it's pretty cool for a 10-year-old kid to go see Frank Sinatra. But 82 was when it all started for the maestro. So this is like my 40-year concert anniversary. And then I just started going through and adding to this original list that I had pieced together a couple years ago. And of course, a lot of shows from 82, 83, and 84. A couple shows that I saw when I was a freshman at the University of Miami down in Florida. two-night stand for you 2 at the Hollywood Sportatorium in Pembroke Pines, Florida. I couldn't remember which night it was. It was either May the 3rd or May the 4th of 1985. I can't remember which one. I don't have ticket stub for it. We'll get to that in a minute. Talk about regrets. But I verified, yes, I did see you too. I forgot that the opening act, I don't know if you remember the great classic song, One Hit Wonder, China by the Red Rockers. The Red Rockers were the opening act. I had completely forgotten that. Completely forgotten that. Now, another part, part two of this obsession, is I was going through and trying to verify all these old shows and the opening acts was I'm going to see Bon Jovi coming up here in about four weeks. I swear I have seen Bon Jovi once before as an opening act on the 7,800 degree Fahrenheit tour, and I can't verify it and I can't find it anywhere. I cannot find them opening for anybody or playing on that tour at the Notre Dame ACC because that's I know that's where I saw them. But I can't verify it. That's the one of all these hundreds and hundreds of concerts that I'm talking about that I can't verify. So that's where I'm thinking, oh, my God, my brain is playing tricks on me. My mind is going. I'm getting old. I'm getting senile. 
But like I said, there were other interesting nuggets and tidbits of my concert history that I found out. I mentioned the Red Rockers. I know that's a very minor detail. This one's embarrassing. This one embarrasses me. Because this is one of my favorite bands from the 80s. And according to what I dug up, I've seen them and I do never, I I can't, I don't remember it. I've never taken credit for it. I do not remember it. How is that possible? Out of all these concerts, I remember a lot of the opening acts. I, I have never really forgotten outside of this one band and somehow my misplaced memories of Bon Jovi. On my birthday in 1983, winter, early winter 1983, I'm not giving you my birthday. No, I am that paranoid. Early, early winter, 1983, late fall, whatever you want to call it. On the flick of the switch tour, I saw ACDC. Now that part I remembered. Okay, I'm not I'm not losing it that much, but this the opening act still that I forgot this just as a rock fan embarrasses me. And I just found this out today as I was wrapping up this little research project. Opening act for ACDC on the Flick of the Switch tour when they were in South Bend, Indiana. Fastway. I loved Fastway. Debut album, all fired up, the second album. Oh, I still have them on vinyl. I've also got the debut album now on CD, as well as the soundtrack they did for Trick or Treat. How did I forget, how did I ever forget that I saw Fastway? Maybe my mind is mixing up, I don't know how or why, mixing up Bon Jovi and Fastway. I I just don't get it. Then the last little concert tidbit I want to share with you guys. I'm not going through all the hundreds of concerts I've seen. I'm just, again, going back to the early ones and some of these legacy bands, the 80s rock that we, we love beyond belief. There was a rock festival I went to when I was young. I was 18 years old, almost 19, getting ready to go to college down at the U in Miami, Coral Gables. I couldn't remember. It was at a ski resort in Michigan, and I couldn't remember it and couldn't, and I didn't even find this one on setlist.fm. There's another website out there. I think it's called concertarchives.org, which 
I still like set list better. But this concertarchives.org did find this one show for me. So I verified this as well. May the 28th of 1984. Timber Ridge Ski Resort, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Yes, the same Kalamazoo where it all started with Frank Sinatra. The same Kalamazoo where I just saw Greta Van Fleet. Check out this lineup. Now, I remember this because traffic was awful trying to get into this place. We got in, missed a couple songs from the opening act, and w the traffic was so abysmal, we made the, the rare faux pas. I have done it. I probably do it once every four or five years. Various reasons. If traffic looks like it's going to be a nightmare. When my daughter was younger, if I had her, you people out there with kids know how that can be, especially younger kids. And they've only been to a couple concerts with the earplugs and the having to go to the bathroom stuff. Sometimes, rarely, rarely, but sometimes you got to leave early. I know there's a lot of people out there that do it and they're okay with it. I'm not. I hate doing it. I absolutely hate doing it. But it, again, every four or five years, something comes up and you got to do it. Little bit late for the opener. Skip the headliner. Okay. Here's the lineup. Opening act, accept. Again, we missed the beginning of their set. We got balls to the wall. That's really at the time all that mattered. Then it got really good. Rat, one of my favorites. Night Ranger, one of my favorites. Motley Crue, enough said. Then here, like Fastway, is another band that I had forgotten was part of this. I remembered Accept, I remembered Rat, I remembered Night Ranger, Motley Crue, and the other two bands that are coming up. I had completely forgotten about Quiet Riot. I just had never, over all these decades, it never dislodged in my brain that I have actually seen Quiet Riot, the original, well, the, I don't want to say the original, but the popular lineup with Kevin DeBrow, Rudy Sarzo, all those guys. Because I just, I just kind of didn't even have a band in that slot. I thought it went except Rat, Night Ranger, Motley Crue, and then Ozzy Osbourne was next on the bill. I kind of skipped over in my mind Quiet Riot. So then, yeah, Ozzy comes on. I mean, this is a mammoth, mammoth, no pun intended. You'll see what I mean when we get to the next segment. Mammoth day of rock and roll. Ozzy, we stayed through most of Ozzy's set, and that's where we said we had to get out of there. Otherwise, we were going to be in traffic for hours upon hours upon hours. 
the final act of the night, one of my personal favorites again. I mean, this is like a dream lineup for me. Now, then, either way, you pick it. Triumph was the headliner for the American Rock Festival this night. And I love Triumph so much. But I think in my my mind, after seeing all those other bands justified what we paid for tickets, I mean, there were tens of thousands of people there. Again, it was going to be a nightmare to try to get back home. So we skipped out on Triumph. Luckily, I had seen them in my research. Ha ha. I had seen them the year before, March the 23rd of 1983 on the Never Surrender Tour. So I guess a year removed from that, saving an hour, hour and a half of my life at that time kind of just felt right. (laughs) So we cut out early to avoid the traffic. I mentioned here real quick as we wrap up segment one, stupid impulsive things that I've done when it comes to my concert stuff, the ticket stubs, the t-shirts. I got convinced when I was in my late 20s, early 30s, get rid of that stuff. You don't need that stuff anymore. How stupid was I? A lot of them were faded. The the ticket stubs were faded. The t-shirts were made of tissue paper, basically but they were still awesome. I should have kept them. Lesson learned. Don't let anybody tell you to throw away your ticket stubs or give your t-shirts to Goodwill. I'm the maestro. We'll be right back. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Fortress of Rock podcast with me, the maestro, Kevin Crane. Of course, that was segment one. The News of the World, our tribute to Freddie Mercury and Queen, where we look back at the past week in rock and roll and all the news and all the controversies that you deserve to know about. Next up is the heart of the show, the meat and potatoes breakdown, where we are going to review all the new songs, all the new albums, all the new concert tours, the shows that I've seen personally, stay tuned for that. Of course, we're now available on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Stitcher, CastBox, Google, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Hang out, kids. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to the Fortress of Rock. I am the maestro, Kevin Crane. Segment two, as always, the breakdown segment reviews. Got a lot on the plate this week. But first, I do want to kind of finish up my thoughts from News of the World when I I was really limited on time at the end there. I will emphasize this to you again as I move on and segue into my concert review of the week. Seriously, do not let anybody ever, ever tell you to throw away old concert ticket stubs, old memorabilia, old concert t-shirts. Major mistake that I made in my life. 
Now, a lot of my old ticket stubs I remember were faded. You couldn't, you could barely read them. I've got ones that I kept. I still have everything from the early 90s on. So I've kept everything from about 93, 94 on. So I have all that, even the ones from the 90s. The printing is faded beyond belief where you can barely read anything on it. And again, the t-shirts, as I alluded to, I remember the Billy Squire, the very first concert, rock concert I went to that I mentioned. The t-shirt I got for that really felt like it was colored paper towels. That's how flimsy the material was. They're put together a lot better now, but of course they are a lot more expensive. Unless, of course, you can find somebody. Especially, I have found out, in Indianapolis. God love Indianapolis and Grand Rapids as well. If the show's big enough, you'll find the bootleg guys out there selling t-shirts half price. Support your local bootleg economy. (laughs) Hey, You've already paid for the ticket. You paid for probably a beer or nachos or overpriced soda. Why not cut yourself a break? Get a t-shirt that's just as good, if not better than what they sell in the arena. Save yourself a little bit of money after all the money you dished out for parking, tickets, etc. And God damn it, keep all of this stuff till the day you die. Pass it along to your kids. Start a memorabilia room in the basement. But don't get rid of it. Don't get rid of that stuff. I will tell you right now, I will not be getting rid of my ticket stub or my mammoth WVH concert shirt that I just got this past Monday. March the 21st of 2022. Mammoth WVH and Dirty Honey, the Young Guns Tour, hit Fort Wayne, Indiana. Both bands played for exactly one hour each. It is a co-headlining tour. Dirty Honey in this situation, in this case, opened with Mammoth playing the de facto headliner. I'm telling you, this was one of those great, great occasions where we didn't have to worry about traffic. We didn't have to worry about parking. General admission. Less than 2,000 people in the place. I know people are probably still trying to rebound from COVID. We've seen it ever since they started opening venues back up again. I'm still shocked at the the small crowd, relatively small crowd, Judas Priest brought in when we saw them last fall. Now, when we saw Greta Van Fleet again, what seems like the hundredth time I'm mentioning Wing Stadium in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, again, a venue that seats 6,000, 6, That was packed. 
everybody was was sardine canned in on that one. But that might have been more that they picked a smaller venue so there wouldn't be empty seats. Anyway, saw them at Pierre's, second time I've been there. A nice venue. We're going back there again in July to see the 80s triple bill of Faster Pussycat, L.A. Guns, and Tom Kiefer of Cinderella. But this was this was one of the best concert experiences I have had in a long, long time. Crowd was respectful. Unlike the first time I went to Pierre's, where there were the crowd was a little younger. Not much though. I mean, it was ever clear and living color. Maybe the Hoobastank fans were the ones ruining it for everybody, but um we were able to get right up on the side, right up to the, uh, the security barrier. Great, great place to watch both bands. Not going to go through both set lists. I'll do it for albums, but I'm not going to necessarily do it for every concert I go see. I will tell you the highlights though. Dirty Honey. I have said this on the show before. Their cover of Prince's Let's Go Crazy is just fantastic. How they turned that song, which I have, I heard that on the radio today, Prince's original. Probably the first time I'd heard that since Dirty Honey put out their cover. And it's amazing. I, I know it's not the first time. It won't be the last time. But I just love it when you have a classic song like Prince in his version of Let's Go Crazy. And then you have a band like Dirty Honey come in and take it and give it kind of a, a Zeppelin-esque blues metal grind and makes it their own and it really works either either version you want to listen to are phenomenal they had an interesting way to do their solos the bass guitarist started out with a solo not real long everybody comes back except the lead singer they play about 30 seconds of music together then the drummer takes over and he does a short solo. Then same thing again, all three outside of the lead singer come back. And then the guitar, the guitarist comes in, he does a longer solo, still not overbearing. Yes, I'm talking about you, Greta Van Fleet. Dirty Honey, uh, I... I like them a lot. I really do. I, they're growing on me. They are a band that wears their influences on their sleeves. Obviously, Zeppelin, some Black Crows in there. But they are a great band. They are a solid, 
solid rock and roll band, and this was a tight set. 12 songs, not counting the solos, obviously. Played everything you would have expected from them, from their debut album and their EP before that. They closed with Rolling Sevens. Might be the song most of us are the most familiar with outside of maybe When I'm Gone in California Dreaming, which they did play also. Then, of course, for me personally, the highlight of the night. Saw Mammoth WVH, obviously, last year we talked about it, opening for Guns N' Roses. <laughs> they were at least 150 yards away, if not 200. Literal football field away and then some. Since it was in a football stadium, Lucas Oil, Indianapolis, Indiana. Wow, what a difference. What a difference when you go from that distance away from a band and you're basically watching them on a video screen. Otherwise, they're just little ants. Then you get to see them and they're maybe 10 yards away. If that, probably not even that. Energy level, so much better. Wolfgang Van Halen is getting more comfortable as a front man. Yes, he still does some of the obligatory rock and roll generic. Hey, everybody, you're the greatest crowd ever. Hey, wow, you guys are kicking butt. Are still trying to keep the fortress clean, so I will not use the actual language that Wolfie used, but and basically it was close to the same set list that they played opening for GNR. Of course, he's only got the one album, so what's he supposed to do? He does not cover Van Halen. He made that very clear to somebody in the audience who yelled something about hearing Van Halen and he didn't like, he didn't think that Wolfie liked Van Halen. Something to that effect because Wolfgang came back and basically said, how do you think I didn't like Van Halen? I was in Van Halen. I love Van Halen. But then he made the great point of saying, do you go see the Foo Fighters expecting to hear Nirvana? So good for Wolfie. Uh, again, most of the material was off of the one Mammoth WVH album, the awesome debut album. My favorites, uh, You'll Be the One, Stone, The Closer, Don't Back Down, the two curveballs that he threw in, played a new song called I Don't Know It All which sounds really good. I'm hoping they, they pull the songs off of the, I believe it's Japanese only release has a couple songs that didn't make the American version. I'm hoping that they pull those and this new song 
in as part of the follow-up, which Wolfgang says they are working on. And then he did a fantastic cover with the band of Alice in Chains, Them Bones. Now, I knew this was coming. I'd, I'd already read reports that they were playing this song every night, so I kind of knew it was coming, but it is tight. It is fantastic. The whole show, I did not, again, did not want it to end. I did not want it to end. That's how good this was. I recommend you go out, catch the Young Guns tour with Dirty Honey and Mammoth WVH. This is one of the best shows I have seen in years. Again, only wish they would have played more than an hour each. All right, moving on to recorded music. Our album review of the week, and then we've got some singles after that. Unfortunately, my euphoria from Monday's concert now gets tempered because most of the stuff I'm going to review here I'm not overly enthusiastic about, but it has to be done. I'm a completist. The new Brian Adams album, So Happy It Hurts, came out recently. We've reviewed a bunch of the songs that were released early off this album. Now, this will go down track by track, as we always do here on The Fortress when it comes to album reviews. So, we start off with the title track, So Happy It Hurts. It's an enjoyable song. It's catchy. I can't say much else about it beyond that. It's acceptable. Now, the second song, Never Gonna Rain, another track that we reviewed earlier. This one's grown on me. This one has grown on me. It's kind of become an earworm for me. Little little bit of a gospel tinge to it. Um, I think this is one of the better songs I've heard from Brian Adams in a long, long time. Now, unfortunately, what I was dreading from him, hoping against hope, based on the early releases, maybe he wasn't going to do it, but you get to track three, you lift me up, and you get the awful Hallmark card mid-tempo ballad, Brian Adams, that starts kicking in here at You Lift Me Up. He is so awkward and so awful when it comes to these love songs and ballads. They are terrible. Going all the way back to that crap from Robin Hood. Everything I do, I do for you. One of the worst songs ever. And You Lift Me Up is not much better. So immediately the album here grinds to a halt. Track four, I've been looking for you a little bit better. More up-tempo, rockabilly feel to it. Didn't mind this one. 
then song five always have always will wants to be another terrible power ballad it does have a slight reggae feel to it that keeps it from being abysmal instead it's just dull again song six we reviewed in the past here on the fortress on the road Similar to the the title track, it's catchy, it's solid, but it's not outstanding. Then we get to the highlight of the album. Again, another song we have reviewed. Going back to the, the rebellious moments that Brian Adams had in the early 80s with songs like Take Me Back. Song 7 is Kick Ass. And yes, the John Cleese introduction is in full effect on the album. Which gives it its ridiculous, awesome, rock and roll cheesiness. To me, it's like Brian Adams' version of Motley Crue's In the Beginning, Shout at the Devil. Kick-Ass is just a great rock and roll party tune was hoping for more of that and just didn't get it because after that the last five songs aren't really all that good i'm sorry spotify i'm gonna have to curse but it's brian adams fault not mine not mine so i'm still gonna label this episode as clean song eight is i ain't where shit without you Okay, thought with that title, it'd be a little bit more like Kick-Ass, a little bit more rebellious. It's okay. Again, it's kind of like So Happy It Hurts, the title track, and On the Road. Acceptable. And then Song 9, Let's Do This, to me, sounded like New Country. which I don't like. Not a fan at all of Let's Do This. Song 10, Just Like Me, Just Like You. Moderately, barely moderately catchy. It's just okay. Song 11, Just About Gone, is a little bit better. A little bit more like uh, I've been looking for you with the slight, slight rockabilly feel. And then, of course, it's got to close out with a sappy clunker. These are the moments that make up my life. One little tangent, another one for you to wrap up Brian Adams. There was a time when CDs were cheaper. They're still not bad. I will say the prices on CDs have have stayed relatively stable over the last 20 years or so. But there was a time where I would, when music was a lot more prevalent in terms of album releases, physical album releases, and the, the bands, the artists were making more money on album sales. So you got music more often, you get higher quality music. 
I would buy an album almost every week. There was always somebody putting out new stuff every week, it seemed like, back in the 80s and even the 90s. You can tell how times have changed because I can't do that anymore. Not because I can't pay for it, but because Spotify has ruined me. I can listen to the album now ahead of time. You're not going to hear it on the radio, but you can hear it on Spotify. And once I can preview more of these albums, unlike back in the old days where you had to rely on the first two or three singles to make a judgment call. Now I can listen to the whole thing on Spotify on release day and decide, do I really want to buy it? Glad I did not buy. So happy it hurts. Not awful, but still a tad disappointing, given how much I liked the first four songs that were released off this ahead of time. Sorry, kids. I hate to say it. I loved a lot of Brian Adams' older stuff, but I would stay away from So Happy It Hurts. Three songs to review here real quick as we wrap up Breakdown. Unfortunately, none of them are really all that much better than Brian Adams. Um, I promised I would review Joe Satriani's Faceless, another release from his upcoming album. I think I do this out of respect for Joe just because, you know, he was in Chicken Foot. I do love the great guitarists like him, like Steve Vai, Ingve Malmsteen, Joe Bonamassa, who, who for the most part put together albums where it's all about them and their guitar work, and rightfully so. That being said, I do like songs. I do like to hear lyrics, vocals, interplay of all the members of the band being somewhat equal. And when you've got a guitar god like Joe Satriani, obviously his guitar work is taking over each and every song. So to me... It wears on me quickly. I can take it in three or four minute bursts. I just can never see myself buying an entire Satriani album or an entire Vi album. Uh, the song I've been promising to review is Faceless. Again, it's okay for what it is. He flavors this one with strings and piano keyboards. Um, it's okay. It's not distasteful. It's just mediocre. Nothing exciting about it. It's more mid-tempo, so it's not like there are face-melting guitar solos in there from Satriani. I will probably end up now staying away from reviewing songs like this it's just too hard i don't have a background in being able to play music i can't play guitar so i almost feel like i'm not qualified to review songs by these guys it's too difficult to try to give you a feel for it without being able to explain the guitar work 
But that being said, just as a fan, this is just okay. Joan Jett is coming out with an acoustic album with the Blackhearts. First release is an acoustic version of a song, I believe, off of her I Love Rock and Roll album. Song is called I'm Gonna Run Away. I hate to say it, but when I heard this, I wanted to run away from Spotify. Again, I hate to be Debbie Downer here with a lot of the recorded music this week, but there's nothing. Number one, it's a remake. It's not an original, which I have said many times over the months on this show. Give me original material. And I did listen, go back and listen to the original version from I'm, um, of I'm Gonna Run Away off of I Love Rock and Roll. And even full-on electric, electric guitars, drums, all that good stuff, it's not a great song to begin with. So now you strip it down to the acoustics, and it doesn't help. It doesn't make it any better. I'm sorry, Joan. I love you. I do. One of the top 10 greatest female rock and roll artists of all time, but I'm going to pass on I'm going to run away. Finally, a band that the critics love. They have been called for the last decade or so the new hope for rock and roll. From the critics. Now, they have sold a lot of albums. But for me, when I see a band like Dirty Honey, they look more and they sound more like the future of rock and roll. The resuscitation of rock and roll. More so than this band. And I'm talking about the Black Keys. I've never liked these guys. I hear them in interviews. They come off as so pretentious. And I know they paid their dues. They weren't overnight sensations. They had three or four albums out, and they struggled until they finally hit it big. I believe Brothers was the, the album that really put them over the top. And I'm not saying that they don't have great songs. There are some great songs out there from the Black Keys. My problem with them is, number one, they come off as arrogant. They come off as pretentious. And to me, a lot of their music sounds the same. This is another band where they wear their influences on their sleeves. And again, nothing really wrong with that per se. But, I mean, the Black Keys already are doing cover albums. Was it Delta Cream just came out a year or two ago? I'm happy that you love all those old R&B classic guitarists, all the stuff from the 50s and the 60s. Good for you. 
how about you take that and you do something a little more original with it? The song I'm reviewing this week is the first relief release off their upcoming new album. The song is Wild Child. The album coming out May the 13th is Dropout Boogie. Again, I don't know what, what more I can say other than it's just typical Black Keys doing a, a blues song with some good guitar work but there's nothing really original about it. There's nothing groundbreaking about Wild Child. I've tried to get into the, these guys, this duo, and I just, as much as I do like a handful of their songs, I can't do it. They're not original enough for me. There's nothing new or different about them where I'm going to spend my precious time listening to their rehashed blues grooves. All right, stay tuned. We'll be right back on the Fortress. All right, now that we've looked at the current state of music in our breakdown segment, it is time to climb into the DeLorean and travel back in time to look back at moments in rock and roll history, birthdays, deaths, anniversaries, of song and album releases, it is time for I Want to Go Back, our tribute to Eddie Money. Stay tuned. And as always, we're on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Stitcher, CastBox, Google, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public, anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Fortress of Rock, segment three. I want to go back. Our weekly look at anniversaries of classic album releases, birthdays, and moments in rock and roll history. But, of course, this is always the point in the podcast where I like to tell everybody where we're available. Spotify, Anchor, Google, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Breaker, Apple, Overcast, CastBox, and Stitcher, and give credit where credit is due to my three main sources for a lot of the information that I get for this podcast, ultimateclassicrock.com, thisdayinmusic.com, and the Van Halen News Desk. Again, they give me the ideas, but the opinions are mine and mine alone. So we've had two jam-packed maximum length segments. And as we always seem to do here, we start to wind down with segment three and then the brief segment four where we look forward to what's coming up in future podcast episodes. Personally, two fantastic rock and roll anniversaries for me as a Van Halen fan this week. A couple days ago, March the 23rd, back in 1979, Van Halen 2 was released. Need I say more? One of the greatest albums of all time. Not just because it's Van Halen. Now, on March the 24th in 1986, yesterday, was the anniversary 
when 5150 was released. Of course, the second era of Van Halen when Sammy Hagar took over from David Lee Roth as lead singer. Now, as where I will let Van Halen 2 rest on its laurels, I don't need to elaborate on that fantastic LP. I do want to discuss 5150 for a minute because as huge of a fan of Van Halen that I am, I have mixed emotions looking back at 5150. Now, when it first came out, I remember where I was. I could probably take you to the spot. It was in my car. I know the road I was on. I could probably get within 100 feet of the exact spot on that road where I was when I first heard on the radio, Why Can't This Be Love? And I was excited. I was jazzed. I was pumped. And when 5150 came out, yep, I was I was all in. I was ready for Van Halen version 2.0. And for the most part, it didn't disappoint. Now, there are songs on 5150 that are considered classics for Van Halen that I necessarily don't adore as much as most and those of course would be dreams and love walks in if you made me list every single van halen studio song those two songs would be in my bottom 10 most of the bottom 10 unfortunately would be Sammy Hagar songs. Now, Tattoo would be down there too. The one song that marred what otherwise would have been a fitting, perfect finale for Van Halen in A Different Kind of Truth. But 5150 had so many highs if we're going to flip it here, I, I say love walks in and dreams are bottom of the barrel for me when it comes to Van Halen. And I will always say the worst Van Halen song is better than 99.99% of the other crap that's out there. Keep that in mind when I say I don't like love walks in and dreams. Now, on the flip side, two of my favorite Van Halen songs of all time whether it be Dave, Sammy, Gary, Sharon, are also on 5150. So that's why I'm saying it's a roller coaster to me to listen to 5150 with the highs and the lows from Sammy bellowing, hello, baby, to kick off the new Van Halen era. Fan couldn't, couldn't have been more perfect. Fantastic. But best of both worlds, a lot of people along with me acknowledge that that could be the finest moment of the Van Halen era with Sammy Hagar. Another one that you do hear on occasion, maybe on Sirius XM, 
occasionally still played over the air is the title track. The song 5150, I think, is phenomenal. It is creative. I love the tempo shifts, the tempo changes. I think that is another highlight of the Sammy era in Van Halen. And again, one of my personal favorites. As much as I'm a Dave guy, as much as I think Van Halen with David Lee Roth was the perfect rock band, there are a few Sammy songs that do slip in there where I can admit, yeah, that's what the greatness of Van Halen 2.0 was. That's where they were just as good as Van Halen 1.0. All right, some anniversaries here in rock and roll. Again, I know I digressed with Van Halen, um, but it's my podcast, so deal with it. I try to stick with just the taping day. I'm not going to go back through the entire last week in rock history because what's going to happen as we go through the years here, the calendar shifts and changes, and we'll be able to address some of these other anniversaries in other podcast episodes as the years go by. Yes, because you're not getting rid of me. I'm sticking around doing this until they bury me in my brand new Mammoth WVH concert shirt. which is awesome, by the way. 1967, March the 25th. I have really come to appreciate music from the 60s and the early part of the 70s a lot more as I've gotten older and I've tried to find different things to listen to outside of when I started to really get into rock and roll, which would have been around 1975, 1976. So all that stuff from there on, I've listened to it. I know it by heart. So of course we've talked about the fact that you're getting less and less in terms of new music from the type of bands that I enjoy. Sorry. You can have your Disturbed. You can have your Five Finger Death Punch and your Breaking Benjamin. Not for me. So 1967, a song that on the surface you might go, what's the big deal? I just think this is one of those songs that defined the 60s. It is an upbeat tune that I have learned to love happy together by the turtles hit number one in the U S on this day in 1967. It is just one of the better upbeat catchy songs of the mid to late sixties. Again, a song I have come to appreciate more as I have gone back in history to find music that I never really gave a fair shot to. 
Moving up to 1972 on this day, March the 25th, we make fun of America around here, not the country. <laughs> Don't get Ted Nugent on my on my butt, okay? I'm not making fun of America, the country. I'm making fun of America, the band. Because where we live, we complain a lot about the fact that we don't have a venue for major concerts. We are stuck in the middle between Chicago, Indianapolis, Fort Wayne, and Grand Rapids, Michigan. So if we want to go see a big show, we have to go to really one of those four because when they're setting up these tours, normally the band's... The promoters look and they go, well, why are we going to go into northern Indiana when we can just go an hour and a half away and they can drive? Make them drive. Thanks a lot, guys. My friend's truck. <laughs> we put so many miles on his truck each and every year going to these concerts because we can't get anybody to come here, even though our metro population in this area is well over 200,000, close to 250. I'm, I'm not even talking, I'm not talking about bringing in U2 or the Rolling Stones. We can't even get a Greta Van Fleet to come here because we don't have the facility. Anyway, getting back to America, the band. We do have very small venues here that do you know, they seat a couple thousand. So we get, we get those type of bands. We get a lot of Marshall Tucker band shows. We get, luckily we get Night Ranger here fairly often, which is cool. But the one band that always seems to play here each and every year, like clockwork is America. And again, I'm not trying to really disparage them. They've got some great songs, and that's the anniversary I want to talk about is 1972 on this day. Probably their signature song, Horse With No Name, hit number one in the U.S. But I find it funny that these, a lot of these acts gravitate to certain areas of the country, certain regions of the country. Even though they're not from that area, like I mentioned, Night Ranger, we can pretty much find a Night Ranger show somewhere within an hour of where we live. Night Ranger's a, a West Coast band. They're from San Francisco. I've always said the Midwest in the 70s and the 80s, you could have your West Coast bands from the Sunset Strip. You could have your East Coast bands like Cinderella and Bon Jovi. The Midwest, we were the ones. We were buying the concert tickets. We were buying the albums. We were buying the CDs and the cassettes. So I find it interesting how these bands still come here to this day. Because they know. They know where their true fans are. 
I have to admit, I've never seen America, and I probably never will, though. <laughs> I think I have their greatest hits somewhere in my CD collection. But uh, I think the one song that killed America for me was Muskrat Love. <laughs> That's just, sorry. That's one of the ultimate wussy songs of all time. Finally, March 25th, 1986. Guns N' Roses signed with Geffen Records. And the rock and roll world would never, ever be the same again as Guns N' Roses bridged the gap between the hair metal of the 80s and the grunge movement of the 90s. Three big birthdays to discuss in the world of music. Today, March the 25th. Of course, the big one, I heard it on the radio this morning. I had to get up early, get out on the road early. So before I could even research for the fortress today, I heard it on the radio. So I knew this was coming. Elton John turned 75 years old today, born in 1947 on this day. And you can't, you can't help but give Elton John his due. Elton John was a rock god in the early and mid-70s. Now for me, as I mentioned, kind of my cutoff... 75 76 when i really started to, to to really start getting into rock and roll with bands like foreigner and kiss elton john was he was still popular but he was kind of on the decline you weren't getting the the mega mammoth sales from him like you did with goodbye yellow brick road and everything he did in the early 70s. So in that in this particular case, I just missed out on the Elton John phenomenon. Now I know people who um a little bit older than me who look at him again like a rock god. Like he he was the man. In a way, you could probably say he was almost a bridge between the Beatles era and what became the what I call the classic rock era. I hate to call it legacy rock, but to me, the classic rock of the late 70s through to the mid-80s. So happy birthday to... Elton John, one of the most important individual rock and roll performers of all time. One of the greatest female voices of all time. She's unfortunately passed, but in 1942 on this day, Aretha Franklin was born. Again, just like Elton John, there's no debate. You can't 
argue the fact that Aretha Franklin was one of the greatest female voices in music history. Now, somebody behind the scenes to wrap up here in segment three. If you know your music, you're going to know this name. Bob Ezrin. Bob Ezrin turned 73 years old today, March the 25th, born back in 1949. Bob Ezrin was, and he's still active in music. So when I say was, I'm looking back at the classic albums that he helped produce. He was the man through the 70s, even into the 80s, the 90s, and even today. But Bob Ezrin is most well-known for producing Kiss's fantastic album, Destroyer, which I still think has one of the greatest album covers of all time. But as I mentioned, that was one of the albums that got me into rock and roll. That's what created the maestro, was Destroyer. Now, on the flip side, he co-produced The Wall with David Gilmore and Roger Waters. Now, it looks great on his resume. It looks fantastic on his resume. But for me, you know how I feel about Pink Floyd. One of the most overrated bands of all time. Now, Bob Ezrin also produced, had to be somewhere around a dozen albums, if not more, for Alice Cooper. So he and Alice Cooper, very tight. And again, I mentioned Kiss. He is still, still friends with Gene and Paul to this day. So happy birthday to Bob Ezrin. All right, that'll wrap up. I want to go back. Speaking of wrapping things up, that's what our final segment is. Got a lot of stuff to look forward to in the coming weeks. We will break all that down for you. So hang out for just a few more minutes here on The Fortress. We'll be right back. Well, we hope you enjoyed our trip back in time, looking back at the anniversaries, the classic moments in rock and roll history. But of course, the DeLorean works both ways. So now we have to move forward. The last segment here, as always, on the Fortress of Rock with me, the maestro Kevin Crane, Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Stitcher, CastBox, Google, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It's all about the future. What's coming out here in the next month or two? What songs, what albums, what concert tours? That's why we call it Wrap It Up. Thanks to the fabulous Thunderbirds. Thanks to you for hanging out. Here comes our final segment.
Well, it's been another great week of talking rock and roll with all you kids out there. Fortress of Rock, I am the maestro, Kevin Crane. It is time to wrap it up. As the fabulous Thunderbirds once sang, this is where we give you a quick rundown of what you can look forward to in the coming weeks here on the Fortress. Three songs that I promised you, they are going to be featured next week in the breakdown segment. New song from The Fix, Closer. Third release off the upcoming album, Every Five Seconds. One of my personal favorite bands, underrated, unsung. The Black Moods, new song, Saturday Night. That will be featured next week as well. And we will get around to, yes, Def Leppard's Kick. Video was the official video, not the lyric video. The official big production music video was released today for their first single off of the upcoming album, Diamond Star Halos. Kick, of course. It's all over everywhere. I want to listen to it just a couple more times. So next week you will get the fix, the black moods, Def Leppard for sure, as well as the previously mentioned Dave Grohl Foo Fighters side project stemming from their movie Studio 666. We will review the EP, even though I still think it's long enough to be an LP, from Dream Widow. The fictional hardcore thrash metal band that gets things all nasty and bloody in Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters' new movie. All right. Beyond next week, we mentioned Skid Row, new album coming, new lead singer, first single, The Gang's All Here. We'll have that for you within a couple weeks. Third single from the Red Hot Chili Peppers upcoming album, Unlimited Love, not the one. And also Aldo Nova, new release from his upcoming album. Again, he's doing the same thing that Dave Grohl's doing with this Dream Widow, where they're calling it an EP. But I've seen The Life and Times of Eddie Gage, this long gestating rock opera that Aldo Nova's been working on. And the song I'm talking about is King of Deceit. That'll be coming out here very soon. So along with... Aldo Nova and the Red Hot Chili Peppers, we might just review those albums. By the time we get around to these songs, the albums will be out, so we'll see how it goes. But getting back to Aldo Nova, calling this an EP, but it's 10 songs. So again, I guess I'm a little fuzzy on what an EP is nowadays because when Billy Idol released the roadside or counting crows released butter miracle sweet one 
those are EPs to me. Four songs, that's an EP. Once you start getting to eight or ten songs, or the length starts getting to 40, 45 minutes, that's an album. That's an LP to me. But again, like I said, with Aldo Nova and Red Hot Chili Peppers coming out within the next week or so, the full albums, we shall see. I'm going to need time to review them, so we might just do these songs to give you a taste. And then a week or two after that, we'll get to the full albums. Also, just heard yesterday, we know ZZ Top's putting out a live album here this summer. There is a live ZZ Top version of Brown Sugar floating around, which I will try to listen to and review for you as well. So again, next week for sure, I will review The Fix, The Black Moods, Def Leppard, and Dream Widow. Probably also throw Aldo Nova in there. Then Red Hot Chili Peppers, Skid Row, ZZ Top might be a few weeks away. As always, I want to thank you for hanging out with me. Nothing I like better than to talk rock and roll even if I'm just talking into a microphone. Rock and roll is the one thing that keeps me going. Hopefully my daughter's not listening. Just kidding. I love you, kiddo. Outside of my daughter and my friends, the one thing that keeps me going is rock and roll. That's why I do this podcast. That's why, as I mentioned earlier, I will continue to do this podcast. I don't care if two people or two million people listen to it. I enjoy it, and I enjoy music too much. So, that being said, have a great weekend. If you're going to watch basketball, you're going to watch as the college players whittle it down to the Final Four. If you're going to watch NASCAR racing down at the Circuit of the Americas, if you're going to hang out with your family and friends, unfortunately, the weather here is not looking great for us. We had a tease, luckily, Monday when we saw Mammoth, WVH, and Dirty Honey of 70s. Weather was perfect. It was gorgeous. Now, of course, we're supposed to get snow tonight. Yay. That being said, once again, have a great weekend. Have a great week next week until Friday. And then we will check back in with you. You check back in with us here on the Fortress. I'm the Maestro. Take care, kids.